Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. The scripture reading from this morning comes from Micah 1, 2. Hear you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all that live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. This is the word of God. Stay right there, big boy. Man, y'all, y'all see big, he over there on the, on the, on the guitar. Would you just close your eyes with me real quick? Um, I love that song. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. As we were singing that refrain, uh, just reminded of Paul's words as he addressed Timothy and his audience. He says, that is why I am suffering as I am. And yet my suffering is no cause for shame because I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Lord, our hallelujahs are not cheap. Our worship of you in the middle of pain and complexities and hardships, it's not easy. But I have never been more certain of anything in my life. I have never been more convinced of anything in my life that you are who you say you are. And you are able, God, to keep the faith that we have entrusted to you until that day when we meet face to face. So God, would you help us to continue to move forward in this worship service in faith, listening in faith, applying word to our heart in faith because we know your character and we believe your promises. We ask your blessings on this time, both as the word is proclaimed over your vessel, hide me behind your cross. And my friends and I, as we hear this word, that we would hear it uh, with open hearts, ready to receive, eager to apply, 
and ready to celebrate the beauty that is found in you. In Jesus' name, and we all say and pray, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, my hallelujah belongs to him. Amen, 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 amen. Hey, y'all, we are getting ready to um, launch into uh, a new series. Um, I pray that you all enjoyed um, the beginning series of the year. Um, so we focused on what our soul most needs, which is God, and the tools that we can use to um, help our souls get God, making sure our soul is, has that buddy of a mind renewal and making sure um, that we take advantage of the gift that God has given his church, um, namely through uh, shepherding. And so um, I just pray that um, it was a blessing to you and you feel confident about how you want to approach um, not a perfect year, um, you know, but a year nonetheless where we have another opportunity to give God glory with our lives um, and to know him more. Anybody excited about that? Oh, I just want to know you more. I want, I want you to get more glory out of my life. Amen. So we, we, we lean on that. So, I, you know, we were looking at the year, and I was thinking about, man, you know, they, they, PT, if you would just give us the stuff earlier, we could better plan for what we want to do. I'm not talking about anybody on the stage at all. But uh, we were thinking about Easter. <laughs> <laughs> This is my brother. I love him. So we're trying to get ahead of Easter, and uh, I, this this will be fun. You'll laugh at this. I was like, man, you know what I want to do? I felt so good, y'all. I was like, hey, you know, we two, three months out. Y'all, this is what we're going to preach. The three Sundays before Easter, including Easter, we're going to preach a message about uh, the cross where mercy meets judgment, right? And I'm going to close with, thine is the kingdom forever on Easter morning. So y'all already, already get that, right? But um, I'm switching it up. I was going to try to do it, and I was like, oh, man, as I'm preaching through Micah, there's, there's no way that I could go back into uh, uh, even a mini-series on God's judgment and his mercy, uh, because that's all what Micah is about. It is a book about, it sobers you up uh, to the character of God, where you meet um, his justice and the ultimate end of that justice in judgment, um, but that's not the end, right? It concludes with mercy, and so... Uh, that's what we will kind of be looking at um, for the next five, six weeks. And so I was, um, I was on TGC, and um, I was reading an article, and I got refreshed on Occupy Wall Street, um, just that movement that was kind of brief. But uh, in one of the articles, it just says that uh, Occupy Wall Street was a movement in 2011 that was sparked by this generational cynicism about institutions and the concern about inequality and justice. And the movement gave expression to a growing sense that really something needed to burn is what the, the, the writer of the article was saying. Like, hey, man, we're, we're fed up, and, and, and something needs to happen. Um, and so, you know, as we, I couldn't honestly think, it, this is perfect timing. This is the Lord's divine timing, and it's definitely nothing that I planned at all. Um, I, if something good happens, you can pretty rest, rest assured it was probably spontaneous because PT did not think about it ahead of time. But, um, but honestly, I think the Lord knew what we needed to hear, especially as a city um, who, you know, probably over the last six to eight months, um, you know, I think we know 
where we were called to. Many of you, you know, when, how many of y'all are transplants? You, you're not Memphians, you're not native Memphians. That's almost half the room, right? Maybe there are other churches where that's, you know, not so true, but here, most of us, um, or at least a good considerable portion of us are transplants. And so we knew what it was when we moved here. When we moved here, either you knew the truth or you knew the rumors. Right? So it should, ain't no, nothing surprising, right? However, it is sometimes sobering and jarring sometimes. It, 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 it's, it's like, man, it doesn't matter how much darkness you see. When you see it again, it's, it's still like, bang, like it hits you for the first time. It's like, but you knew what it was when you moved, but it's still fresh. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like, golly. And you know, as you read the post, as we share with each other, as we try to walk through certain events that are happening in our community, we try to make sense of it. You know, one of the things that I will constantly see, um, which is a good thing, as we try to encourage each other from Scripture, as we try to use language from Scripture to help depict our predicament. You know, songs like Psalms 42, like, how long, O Lord, Maranatha, come back, you know, those kind of things, right? Um, which is appropriate. Because those are our laments. It's like, man, yo, I know you got a plan, but yo. Anytime now. You know, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but. And so as we wrestle with the big theological term theodicy and in the, the essence of how God is working through evil and trying to make sense of these things. I think one of the things that we have a tendency to do is, is when, we, when we kind of think that God is inactive, we're like, what's, what's happening? What, what, what are you doing? What's going on? Do you care, right? And I just want to kind of remind us by looking at the first two chapters of Micah that we often mistake the Lord's patience for weakness. But I want to remind you today, no one cares about injustice more than the Lord our God. No one. No one. You could throw your fit and you can cry and you can weep and wail, but I'm going to tell you, my brother and sister, nobody has more passion for injustice than the Lord our God. And he will repay the wicked and he will deliver the righteous. That's what the first two chapters of Micah are going to show us today. Nobody cares more about injustice than Yahweh. And he will actually repay the wicked, and he will deliver the righteous. Now, the way we're going to work through it is because, you know, Jess is like, oh, my God, here we go. I, this is two whole chapters that we're going to try to work through. And so it'll be a lot of reading. I'm reading out of the NIV. If some of you all just want to follow along on your phones, or if, man, how novel. Some of y'all, how many of y'all still bring y'all Bible to church? Let me just see. Who, who still be? Oh, okay. You self-righteous legalists. What's wrong with y'all? What's wrong with my cell phone? You know what I'm saying? Anyway. <laughs> hey, but if you want to follow along um, in your Bibles or your phones or your tablets, you can do that. Jess has got all the scriptures up there so you can follow along up here. Uh, we are really going to kind of go uh, uh, expositional. Um, and line by line, verse by verse. I'm going to really make three points. I'm going to make the point first that the Lord cares about injustice more than anyone else on earth or especially you. And the Lord will punish injustice 
and the Lord will deliver the righteous. That's all we're going to talk about today. All right, so let's get in it. Hey, verse 1 just says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. All right? What's going to happen here is Micah's a minor prophet. He's going to be prophesying somewhere in the latter half of the 8th century B.C. to the southern king of Judah. Remember, you can split Israel up, all of, of national Israel up into two, two, two different kind of um, departments. All right, ten tribes go north, two go south. Um, and, and Judah will be the last to be conquered. The northern kingdom will be conquered by Assyria. All right? Um, eventually, um, just, if, just, the, 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 just the Bible at a glance. You just need to know God's people who, as soon as they came up, let my people go. You know when I'm preparing my sermons, I listen to the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. You know, I love that chart. Just get me right. <laughs> But right, all you need to know, if you're not a biblical scholar, all you need to know is when God delivered his people out of there, they wandered in the wilderness, but eventually they, they became stationary. They, they had a place. They made it to the promised land. But once they got to that promised land, um, and, and you'll see time and time again, uh, they forsook their covenant duties, right? They, they shrugged those things off. And the result of that is that God sent prophets to warn them, hey, we're going in the wrong direction. Um, they didn't heed, and so eventually they would be taken captive. And when, when the Bible kind of switches to the New Testament, God's people have suffered a whole bunch at their own hands for refusing to stay faithful to Yahweh, um, and they have been in periods of exile. So that's, that's really the, the most simplified version I can give you. And Micah was one of the prophets who was sent to prophesy primarily to the southern kingdom um, to get their stuff together and to warn them about impending judgment. Now, he's also a contemporary of Isaiah. Isaiah was prophesying around the same time as Micah was. Micah was um, not only a contemporary of Isaiah, uh, but he was um, a descendant in the line of, not a biological descendant, but in the prophetic lineage of Amos. And Amos and Micah really have a similar kind of tone because they were both sent by God to warn the people of, of basically um, forsaking God, right, of their, specifically their injustice. I also want to tell you as we read through this, the big bad guy, the you know, I, I don't know, the Hitler of the time, the great big conqueror who is, you also need to be thinking about as we read through these verses, the backdrop. He's the one who God allows to really inflict judgment and terror on his people. His name is Sennacherib. And I am not talking about Central or Corchis. I'm not saying snatch a rib. I'm saying Sennacherib, right? He's the big bad Assyrian king who has really run roughshod over the whole terrain. He's given the Babylonians all they want. He's terrorized the Hebrew kings, and God is essentially going to allow him to inflict his judgment as he meets it out on his people. He's in the backdrop. Just wanted to give you that. And so what will happen as we look at the book of Micah, we're really going to see these three big accusations. They're going to unfold in kind of three big stages, and they are going to be levied out, especially in chapter 1, on Judah and Samaria. Ha <laughs> ha! I was waiting all sermon for that. You know, Chad, I just thought I made the connection, Chad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
They're like, come on, man, I just try. I try. So here we go. Let's go to verse, verse 2. Hear you peoples, all of you listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, you, the Lord from his holy temple. What we see here, and you'll see it kind of unfold even more clearly in passages that you, or you know about Micah, Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? This is, this is Micah, is the prophet, and he's summoning all the earth to the divine courtroom, right, as defendants, and the Lord is about to lay out his case against them um, through his prophet Micah. And so you see the Lord's universal rule is visible, the, 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 the use of the term all the earth, right? And the sovereign Lord, the one who rules over all, he has a case. I remember, um, sadly, talking to a friend of mine once before who, who got locked up. Anyway, I don't know where my mind is right now, but it's, it's, y'all pray for me. Anyway, but he was like, Tim, man, let me tell you something, bro. He's like, man, you know, some of these other little dudes, you know, they get picked up by the little cops. You know what I'm saying? But when you get, when the feds get you and they serve you them papers and it says the United States of America against, he's like, man, you might as well put your head down because it's over with. It's over with. They got you, bro. You might as well tell your lawyers don't even show up. It's it. Can you imagine being summoned to the divine courtroom? And the sovereign Lord of the universe says, I got a bone to pick. It's over. Finito. So the Lord summons. He used Micah to summon them in, and they're standing as defendants, and he begins to unpack his case. But before he does it, look at verse 3 and 4. He says, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valley split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Now, peep the poetic language here, right? Language is really important. Watching the Bible move back and forth from different genres is really, really important. Why are we using poetic language? Couldn't he just serve the paper, just say, hey, the Lord um, says y'all need to stop, and da-da-da. No, because when the Bible starts using the poetic language and start talking about things melting like wax, it's trying to give you imagery so you feel it. Yeah. I want, I, want to, I want to engage all of your senses. I want you to feel these things. What the What does it mean? What does it feel like for mountains to, to melt? And how hot does it have to be? Hot like when I touched the stove? Ooh, that was hot. Yes, hotter. That's how hot he is. I want you to feel this thing. In my devotion, I, I, I've been going through the Heidelberg Catechism. I've just been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And in it, you know, it's breaking down, our Father which art in heaven, and it says, why does he use the words in heaven? Because it teaches us not to think about, it teaches us not to think about God's heavenly majesty as something that's just earthly. When you say, our Father who is in heaven, it's, it's forcing you to try to get your mind around, oh, he's not, he is transcending our dimensions. We shouldn't trifle with him. And when my God says, my daddy's in heaven, when he comes through, oh, man, he got everything I need. My God is otherworldly, man. It forces you. Well, when you get this poetic language about the Lord coming from his dwelling place, uh, this ain't your mama coming around the corner. Oh, let me get, hold oh, No. When our God comes down, he treads on the heights of the earth, not just the low places. The mountains melt, the valleys split like wax 
like water rushing down. Bruce Walkey, the commentator that I really love for Micah, he says, men feel so secure so long as God remains in heaven. But when he comes to the earth in judgment, they are gripped by the terrifying realization that they must meet this holy God in person. But he says this, here's the good news. If men would learn to tremble before God instead of before each other, they would have nothing to fear. Come on, man. He's holy. He's transcendent. He ain't the dude next door. Verse 5, all this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Remember, this is God's people, right? And this is not uh, uh, some kind of rules-based contractual. This is nothing about their relationship was contractual, right? God did all the work. He did all the delivering. He's covering all the sins. He's the only one being patient, right? He's doing everything. Only thing he's doing is, hey, just stay elites to me. Stay, swear your fealty to me, right? And when you read this, I don't want you to think about, um, man, uh, 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 you know, As we look at these scriptures, this is a result of years of covenantal failure. This is not God being reactionary by any way. He's not being, hot, you know, com, uh, uh, impulsive. No, this is years of choosing your love, choosing another over you. This is what this is. Verse 6, therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble. A place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. She, since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, and the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Therefore, it just means, hey, man, <laughs> hey, everything that I'm about to levy against Samaria, they are worthy of it. Walkie goes on to say that idols were tangible symbols of Samaria's pagan worldview from which sprung her twisted value system and unethical conduct. What's he saying? It just means this. We know what idols are, right? Anything we place above God, you know, um, anything we look to more than God, anything we have our hope or fear in or respect in more than God, right? It, some of y'all just think idols are, hey, man. I think knowing them, were, they, they were in Margot's class, and they were doing idols. This is about two weeks ago. And they're like, what's an idol? Someone's like, oh, you know, you can make an idol out of the water bottle. You know? You can, just make a, you can make a little god. You can make a religion out of the water bottle. Everybody serve Aquafina in here? How about, how, how many recovering Elvians do we have in here? You know, when uh, Elvis died, some of y'all was hut hut, you know? I see your car every time it's the... Sixth anniversary of the, what song, you know, blue-eyed girl. I don't even know, Elvis. I'm sorry. Let me stop. You can make idols out of anything, but obviously as we think about idolatry and how it works out in our lives, right, it's anything we say, man, you know what, my life would be horrible if I didn't have this. And if that sentence, if what you complete that with is not God, we got an idol. My life would be meaningless if I don't have The worst thing that could ever happen to me is, and if it's not dying in your sins, we got an idol. <laughs> but here's the thing, y'all. Our hearts are idol-making factories. 
we ping back and forth. That's what Israel's problem is. Like, Israel, this is for us. This is for us. Because we always just ping back and forth. My hallelujah belongs to, oh, my God, if I could just get married, this is the only thing I need to complete me in life. <laughs> Lord, you are good and your mercy endure. You're my God, say that you're my God. But if you could, man, if I could just make a hundred a year, bro, I'd be big straight. <laughs> so you got to, you know, which one is it? So we always are called back to faithfulness. No, Yahweh is it. He's all that we need. But look at what Yahweh does. He says, look, Samaria, I'm going to bust Samaria up. But I'm also going to smash her idols too. (laughs) I'm going to bust up the things that she was putting her trust in. I'm going to smash them up. Come on, man. Because here's the reality about your idols. Either you will destroy them or he will destroy them. Verse 8, because of this I will weep and wail. This is Micah. So Micah now. He says, because of this I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. Once again, this figurative language. This, this just, you know, you hear, you know, I, I was about to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Okay? But you feel this, right? Just howling. You know, some of y'all who run early in the morning, you hear those hoots. You hear, you know, you've been in the wilderness. You know what that sounds like. This is Micah. The posture towards injustice. Let me just, there's several pictures, and I just need to stop real quick. Some of y'all who claim to be 21st century prophets, I just want you to feel this. See, you Facebook prophets, you, you love going to Thanksgiving and tearing up ideologically, and you slamming on everybody who don't think like you and where all the injustice is. And you just, but now look at what God's prophet is doing. Weeping for the people who about to be destroyed. So the next time you fix your mouth to start ideologically going to war against people who probably are unjust in thinking, but when, when have you fasted and wept for them? See, you don't care. You just won't be right. It's just self-righteousness leaking itself out in an unbiblical version of justice. But the biblical version of justice is both declaring what God says, not what you say, what God says, and then it is also weeping for humanity who will have to pay the price for those sins. And that terrifies a true prophet of God. Micah weeping. He didn't do it. He's not being unfaithful to Yahweh, but he's weeping. And so he moves more and more into this poetic kind of lament song. And if you are Michael Johnson, you, you understand this. This is more of a rap in its nature than I would say just traditional poetry because it's just, it's going to be loads of wordplay in here. And I'm going to miss some of them, you know, because they're tucked into the Hebrew. All these towns, they'll be synonymous with different names that you'll, you'll just catch it. It'll, it'll be really cool. And it's also linked with a lot of different action that's happening here um, that I just think is worth briefly running through. It's verse 10. I mean, verse 9. Samaria's, for Samaria's plague is incurable. It is spread to Judah. So whatever's happened in Samaria, it is now spread to Judah. Y'all do no sin travels. It's corrosive. Right, 1 Corinthians 5, he's like, get that guy out of the church because if this, this thing will spread through the whole body, 
If we start tolerating different things, it will infect the whole body. You got to get it out. The only way to deal with sin is to don't play with it. Get it out your house. Man, we didn't have fleas twice. And I'm telling you, that is the most frustrating thing I have ever dealt with in the most 17 years I've been married and the 40 years that I've been alive. And I'm telling you, it's almost like if you let one of them little jokers survive, 20 more coming. God, don't get Where they coming from? Don't play with sin. Don't play with injustice. It's spread. It's now affected a community. He says, um... Verse 10, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, and Beth, Afra, roll in the dust. I wish I could draw all the connections, but I suffice to just tell you this, that Gath is the place where um, David will eventually, uh, previously lamented over the death of Saul and Jonathan. And that's where that line was cut off in Gath. God was done with the line of Saul. Well, this is kind of a wordplay where now the Davidic line is being threatened of being cut off. Now, what was done to Saul's line might be done to what you have your hope in. So you feel the weight of this, right? Tell it not in, tell not in Gath, weep not at all. Beth offer roll in the dust, right? Beth offer means house of dust, roll in the dust. Verse 11, pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafir. What is Shafir? Shafir actually in the Hebrew means beauty town. It prided itself on splendor and beauty. But it says pass by naked and in shame. You see the wordplay? Those who live in Zanan will not come out. Zanan means, it means the going forth town, the town that goes forth. They stay within their walls. They won't even come out. Bethizel is in mourning. It no longer protects you. Bethizel was a place of protection for Judah. But it will no longer be able to provide shelter for them because it will be annexed by the eventual conqueror. Verse 12, those who live in Merath writhe in pain, waiting for relief because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of the daughter Zion began. Ooh, y'all see that? You are where the sin of daughter Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. You know, we got a sovereign king, but um, my favorite player, Wardell Stephen Curry, he, he calls himself the petty king. He ain't got nothing against Yahweh. Yahweh keeps his receipt. He says, I know where the sin began. I know who led my people astray, and I'll be visiting them too. Come on. Nobody cares more about injustice than our God. Therefore, you will give parting gifts to Morash Gath. This one town that I believe was one they had assumed it was theirs, it was their right. It will be taken away from them and they will end up giving, uh, paying tribute to this town that they once owned. This is the shame of what's happening. The town of Akzib will prove deceptive to the kingdom of Israel. Verse 15, I will bring a conqueror against you who will live in Merishah. The nobles of Israel will flee to Agilim. I believe this is foreshadowing that big bad uh, nemesis, Sennacherib, right? Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go, for they will go from you into exile. This is the punishment for Samaria and Judah for their unfaithfulness. But here's the thing, injustice isn't just something that we merely call out or we weep over, especially not for God. 
God will repay the evildoer. Something must happen. If God is just, something must happen to sin. This is what Christianity is all built on, right? This is why we celebrate the cross, because God is just, and he doesn't just look over the sin. Injustice must be punished. And what we're going to see now in chapter 2 is we're going to see more specific accusations levied against the people. We'll see kind of clearly what they got their hands on, what they're doing, and we're going to see these plans of the evildoers kind of juxtaposed with God's plans that he's got going on. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their own power to do it. Now, this is a little bit ironic because essentially, hey, they're plotting on their bed, and then they go out at morning's light, and they do their evil deeds. Well, in the ancient Near East world, especially in the ancient Near East um, Israelite world, what began at morning's light? Court did. The place where we meet out justice, where we essentially, we uh, uh, put on display um, what the results of what happened in darkness, where we make things right, court happens in the morning. This is when the evildoers are doing their thing. It's kind of how bad things have gotten. It says, verse 2, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. In verse 2, if you were living back then, to have a field, with, as one commentator would say, it's a sacred trust. If you didn't have a field in an agrarian society, you had nothing. You had nothing. Well, what's happening? People who were supposed to be covenanted to Yahweh, representing his communicable attributes of justice and kindness and, and, and sharing with one another, they are seizing each other's fields. They're taking their people's houses. They're defrauding people. They're doing it um, in any way possible. They're using dishonest scales, extortion, brute force, manipulating the legal system. All those things are happening, right? And they're seizing people's property. Now, P.T., how does this happen? Where does this start? Let me just, let me just, once again, I need you to try to sit in this scripture with us. And obviously, first, I'm telling you what was happening in Judah and Samaria. But I'm also trying to help us draw the correlation that this is still happening. We're going to deal with a lot of injustice in Micah, but specifically... This kind of maneuvering where you are taking people's assets, hard-earned assets away from them, and as a matter of fact, it's not that you're just taking uh, lanyap, as people would say in Louisiana, little extra stuff, but you're taking away people's basic means of survival. They don't have fields. They can't provide for their families. They can't feed the families. They have nothing to pass on. And this is God's people who are doing it. These are God's people. These ain't the secular people. This is his people. Come on, man. How does it begin, PT? I don't know. But I will say this. Coveting. They know coveting is a Decalogue language. They know that's Ten Commandments language. Thou shall not covet. And anytime you see a tangible act of injustice, you need to know this, body of Christ. It is started somewhere in the heart. What you see 
in real time, acts of injustice, they had somewhere, they began somewhere, y'all. And I don't know whether these people were always evil, which I tend not to subscribe to that. I don't be believe people were born basically good, but I don't believe that most people think that they're capable of the things that they end up doing. I think they end up drifting. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I think the, what's happened to most of us, we didn't realize that we would uh, have that type of situation, a promiscuity, and we can't get out of. We didn't realize when we started the journey how, we, how much we'd be addicted to that sin cycle and that sin pattern. We started one place, but we ended up another. My daddy would tell me sin costs you more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. You can't play with it. This is just greed, y'all. These are just people who don't know how to say enough. These are people who have never yielded to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit said, you don't need that. They don't know how to tell themselves no. They don't know how to be content with what they have, and they end up taking what other people have. And if you don't think you're capable of it, you don't know yourself, and you don't know a doctrine of sin real well. You better pay attention. You better pay attention to what your heart has got going on. And you better learn at some point how to say, enough is enough. I will be content with my lot. Some of y'all are so stressed out and you're so anxious because you know what your number one rule in is like? More, 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 more. And if you don't, thank you, brother. And if you don't think that your heart isn't deceitful enough to step on mine to get your more, you are fooling yourself. You would watch my family go without so you can keep yours. You better learn how to cut that valve off, man, because it will lead you to these dark places. Hebrews 13 and 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. We always want to think about those perpetrators of injustice as being out there somewhere and they go back to the layer of all where their little minions come from and they come out wearing their dark suits. They got their little mask on. No, man. The perpetrators of injustice, at least in Micah, were the people who were going and bringing their sacrifices to the temple. They were coming from within God's covenant family, not outside of it. So what's the Lord's response? Verse 3, he just says, the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. Okay. Okay. From which you cannot save yourselves. When a woman's fed up. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I tried to catch it. It just came out. But when the Lord is fed up, ain't nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Verse 4, I'm sorry. I, ask one of your black friends on the way home. With, what they laughing at, y'all? I don't even know what they laughing at. <laughs> he said, in that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with mournful songs. 
We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns, uh, he assigns our fields to traitors. There will, therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. The reward for those people who are grabbing land unjustifiably, they will not have an inheritance. This is, this, as you read through Micah, I think you need to read first in its, its original context. So his messages to Judah and Samaria. I think you also need to, especially in passages like this, this is also foreshadowing something in the, in the eschatological future. This people who will be in Israel, when they came out of Egypt and they settled in the promised land, they had their plot lines divided. God made sure all the 12 tribes had a place to be, right? And they obviously they're back in exile and turmoil. When God fixes it and makes it right and he redistributes the land, they won't have an inheritance. Oh, where, where's my, Lord, where my name, where my line at? No, bro. Verse 6, do not prophesy. Now it switches. We're on our way home. It says, do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright? Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. Well, let's pause. I just, let, me, let me deal with verse six, 6 and 7 real quick. If you got notes, this is just a warning against false prophets. So Micah's a prophet. Now, the whole tenor of his, his, his message to God's people has been warning, indictment, judgment. He's coming. The Lord's coming down from heaven. He's going to melt the mountains like wax. Y'all in trouble. Get your stuff together. But how many of y'all know there's some other pastors out there too? There's some other prophets too. And so what essentially God's people has done is they, they hear the message coming from these guys and they're like, uh-uh. They say, verse 6, stop prophesying. They don't want to hear that. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us, right? You know, you descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the ones who are upright? I just, as we go through Micah, first of all, it's uh, seven chapters. You should just knock that out once a week. Just read through it. It'll be fun together. And as we sit in this together, it'll be more and more rich. You'll be like, oh, I remember that. PT, why you didn't say that? It'll be good. But I'll also say, too, one of the things you might want to do to really understand the whole Old Testament is you got to go back and kind of do some work in, in the Pentateuch, especially like Deuteronomy, um, those places where the, the law, Exodus, was codified. Because this is when God is calling to his, his people to account. Those are the things that they have not been doing. And it'll all make sense. But here is, here is what is strange. After the, tones, the, the tablets were smashed in Exodus, they redid the tablets. They got new stone tablets. Let me just read this for you. And then the Lord came down, verse 5, in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And as he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Let's pause. That's Exodus 34, 6, and that's the beginning part. 
the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, wickedness rebellion, and sin. Let's just pause for a second. If you want to be an evildoer and be in the house of God, you got to figure out some way how to manipulate the truth. Either you avoid it, you tell people stop prophesying, or you twist it up. Because is it true that our God is compassionate and, and is remarkably otherworldly slow to anger? Is that true? Come on, man. Does he delight in showing mercy? Man, that is absolutely true. He loves showing mercy. What you want to do today, God? I want to forgive people. <laughs> Who can I forgive? That was, that was goofy, but it's so true. Every time you look at a cross, you should look at it saying, I want to forgive you. I, I want to forgive you. I gave my body for you because I don't want judgment for you. But, everybody say but. Do you realize that the second part of Ephesians 34, 6 and 7 is also this? Yet, everybody say yet. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Once again, that's the petty king speaking. I don't forget. Something got to happen with your sin. Either it's going to be nailed to the cross or you're going to pay for it. I'd rather forgive, but you choose. And what's happening is Israel and Judah, they like, oh, they're building their own theological grid for themselves. They're saying, oh, you know what? Our God is not impatient, right? Come on, man. He doesn't do such things. Do not mind what. They're forming a theological world that can accommodate their sin. That's what I'm trying to tell you. God's people have designed for themselves a theological grid so where they don't have to be held accountable for the things they are doing wrong. It's the classic case of look over here and don't look, 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 don't we know people like that? They major in what they do for the community and have horrible homes and being Christ-like. Some, they major in all the doctrine they know and all the scriptures they know, and they have horrible witnesses in the community. There's a way that you can design a theological world and make yourself feel safe from God's judgment. Oh, but my friend, there will be a call into account because he knows. And this is what they've done. They stopped the true prophets from speaking. They've kind of created their own little fortresses of self-righteousness. They rebuked the truth. So what's the end of this? How, how does it finish? What will happen? Let's just remind ourselves, the Lord cares more about injustice than any of us do. And he will repay the wicked, but the Lord will deliver the upright. As you read this, there's a temptation. I think there's a secular temptation. Or those of us who are not rightly dividing the word of truth, we've not been in God's word long enough. So we think, oh, man, y'all God's just angry. He walks in. See, they, nobody tells them that our God has an uncanny tolerance level. And when you read this judgment, you have got to be thinking in the context of thousands of years of patience. You can't wait in traffic for 20 minutes. Our God been tolerating sin for generations. So don't you put that on our God. 
You don't know his type of patience. Now, this is, this is crazy because I told you, like, we're going to see God's justice and we're going to see his mercy. But the mercy is not really what's going to be highlighted in this beautiful little promise at the end of chapter 2. What we're going to see is God's faithfulness and his reward for faithfulness. We'll see it briefly. Verse 12, I will surely gather all of you, the shepherd king. The shepherd, right? We just got through talking about shepherding. But look at the shepherd king. He says, you know what? I'm going to get the bad guys, but guess what? I'm going to gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the ones you punish. No, the remnant of Israel, the ones who stayed faithful. I'm going to gather them. I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The Lord himself, personally, he's going to do it. He's not sending anybody else to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to gather mine, the ones that remain faithful to me. And I think there's an idea, too, that he's going to protect them even when they're in the enemy land. He's a keeper. Anybody know that? Verse 13, the one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gates and go out. Their king will pass through before them with the Lord at their head. Out of all that darkness, 30-some-odd verses of just heavy indictment and judgment, we do see hope that the shepherd king will come and he will gather his his sheep. In verse 13, he's going to kind of break through. He's going to lead them. He himself will lead them. He's going on a reconnaissance mission. And at the front of it, he's going to lead them out of this place that has been so disastrous for them. The thing that's been so oppressive for them. And they're going to break out with their king at their head. One of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 4.18, that the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And he will bring me safely into his kingdom. That's my hope. You know, that, that is like one of my go-to dark day scriptures. Whether I didn't sin, whether I'm feeling the weight of this world, that the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed. And he's not just going to bring me into his kingdom. He will bring me there safely. Amen. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what's the conclusion? I think the conclusion is just this, y'all. We need to be reminded that being a just God is not just about repaying evil, but it's rewarding the faithful. I don't want to close the day with the idea of mercy because I don't think that's what this scripture is dictating. This scripture is not telling, oh, you, what you need to know today is the Lord forgives sins. No, 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 no. I think that is true. What you need to be left with today is that the Lord, in order for him to be just, he's got to get the bad guys and he's got to reward the ones who stay committed. That's, that is a part of justice. You cannot mete out justice in any one of your classrooms if all you do is punish the kids uh, for, for talking out of turn. Or sometimes the kids like Tim Johnson who are always doing the right thing, you need to give me a lollipop. <laughs> Somebody need to give me some gummy bears in that thing. That's the part of justice, repaying and rewarding. And God says those who have been faithful they will be rewarded for their faithfulness. When you're talking about a remnant, there is no, there is no, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, there is not even one idea, there should never be one inclination that faithful means perfect. Can I just say that? Faithful does not equal perfect, not, in, not even in the Old Testament. You do realize that in the Old Testament, they were still under the covenant of grace, just a different version of it, right? Nobody was being punished for all they sinned. Look at David. There's a lot of grace, a lot of mercy in the Old Testament. 
Come on, man. And even for us, perfect, I mean, faithful doesn't mean perfect. But I do, just a couple things I'm highlighting. I love this verse from Job. The first, very first verse. In the land of us, there lived a man named Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and hated evil. I think faithful for us means do you, do you hate evil? And I mean that. You can write it down. Do you hate evil? What you see in your heart and what you see in the world. It's a good place to start. Are you a person who people will just not even try their little schemes with? You know, it's like, man, we on campus it's Friday night. Bro, I'm finna go get into some. You know, there's certain people you just don't even try that with. You know they ain't finna hear you. They ain't even about to entertain you. Bro, let's go on, let's hit a little lick. You know if you, man. Are you a person who people just, well, they won't even try it with? Man, you know her and her and she, the gossip. Are you a person who you are synonymous with? Man, don't do that with them. They won't entertain it. Are you a person who practices repentance? You know what Judah and Samaria are guilty of? Not their imperfections. They just wouldn't repent. That's what the whole thing was about. It was never an expectation of perfection. They would just never acknowledge, yeah, shoot, I did it. And repent. We got to get back to repenting. And I love to say it, you probably haven't grown past the last time you've repented. I don't care how much scripture you know, you probably have not grown in your Christ likeness past the last time you said, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. You got me. My hand was in the cookie jar. I said that nasty thing to my son. I looked at that nasty thing. I did this. I did that. I'm guilty. God, forgive me and about face and turn away from it. That's repenting. The faithful aren't a community of people who never sin, but they're a community of people who always repent. That's who the faithful are. I gotta stop. But, let this be a sobering reminder to us, especially as we come to the table today. That the Lord does care about injustice. And he cared so much about the injustice we were committing that he sent his son to the cross to be the propitiation for our sins that we might find life in his name. And so as we come today, the Lord knows he hates injustice. He repays, but the good news is that he will deliver the righteous, and this is our way out.